0: This week, we revisit my interview with Kobe Bryant following his tragic death in a helicopter crash that also killed Bryant's daughter and seven others. The Laker legend reflected on memorable career moments, his relationship with Shaquille O'Neal, and the impact of dismissed criminal charges that could have ended his career. All that's next right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. I wanted to start by talking to you about your foundation. How did the idea... For it even come about in the first place. Well, you know, you, it's it's important
1: to try to do something um, to help out in whatever way you can and whatever cause you choose to support. And, and, and for me, it was just about researching what cause I can kind of wrap my arms around um, and actually affect change. And uh, so I did some research, and the the cause of homelessness was something that kind of jumped out Um, because it's been around us, it's around everybody. I think it's kind of become what I like to put, you know, white noise, so to speak. We just kind of just blends in with everything else that we have going on instead of addressing the issue. And it's such a prominent issue, particularly in California. So um, that became the issue that I became passionate about and still learning a great
0: deal about, but it's something that um, I can wrap my arms around and, and help out. How challenging was it for you to kind of identify what you wanted to do charity wise to affect change yeah. because homelessness is your cause there's obviously sure. so much out there so
1: you know it's extremely extremely difficult and even now um, even though homelessness is my center focus um, there's a myriad of other things that I, that I do and try to help out wherever I can um, you know homelessness is just the cause that we chose to really lock in on because it is such a prominent issue I mean after I finished the game, leaving from Staples Center, in mean Skid two blocks up the street. You know, and, and so this is something that I believe we can help. And also, I mean, it's, it's, if you think about it, you know, you and I, we both, you know, our, our plans for the future were pretty much um, mapped out in the sense that we knew, you know, you go to high school, you, know, you go to college if you choose to, you to get a job, you know, so everything was kind of lined up for us, and we knew exactly, you know, if we do A, B, and C, we'll achieve A, B, and C. And for most of these kids that you meet that are homeless, they don't have that option, never had that option. They we have a roof over their head. So um, it's about kind of arming them with the tools necessary um, to have a better future. And it starts with having a roof over their head.
2: What
0: have you seen in the places you've been with regards to poverty that really strikes you? It's a loss of hope.
1: I, mean, I think that's the thing that's, um, has been prominent no matter what country or what city you go to, when you see people who are, who are living in these impoverished neighborhoods, um, it's just a loss of hope. It's just kind of a sense of, yeah, I had these dreams, you know, I had these goals and these aspirations, but they're long gone. And, you know, they could be 15 years old, and um, and you, you want to do whatever you can to try to instill that hope back into them, and to show them that there are other people out here who believe in your dreams, believe in your goals, and going to help you to achieve those.
0: Tell about uh, My Friend's Place.
1: Yeah, well My Friend's Place is a, is a...
0: A long time coming, too. Yeah,
1: it's been a long time coming. Um, we've been extremely excited about the project and um, giving kids a, a place to go, kind of a safe haven for them, where you know they can come and just you know do things that we take for granted, like take a shower, have clean towels, and use soap, uh, to get a fresh meal, a warm meal. <laughs> and um you know it's a place where we have counselors that can counsel them with um, whatever issues they may be facing we we've kind of been refurbishing the place and you know it feels good now that uh
0: you know, it's all done is there something kind of you're most excited about
1: well yeah I, you know i think just seeing the, the the expression on kids faces um now that they have a place to kind of go and and and, and to kick back and it's relaxing and to kind of feel at home yeah, i think that's the uh That's the most thrilling part.
0: Explain why you had no idea who Michael Jordan was at that time. Well,
1: basketball wasn't as global then as it is now, you know, so really the only two teams who got recognition were the Lakers and the Celtics because of their obvious robbery and the two players that they had. And, um, you know, when Michael came onto the scene, I was already back in Philadelphia, Um, so I really didn't hear about him until I was about 13, 14 years old.
0: And your guy was Magic.
1: Well, yeah, I was a Laker, big, big Laker fan. Um, you know, Magic, Byron Scott, James Worthy, you know, the, the whole crew.
0: Describe your reaction when you learned Magic had HIV.
1: I was devastated. I, I didn't know, I didn't understand what it was. I, I just knew it was going to stop him from, from doing what he loved to do. Um, so I, I was I was devastated, and I had no idea what was going on, so... It was it was it
0: was a tough day. And I mean, your parents said you were missing meals for a week. it it was almost as if he was part of your family because of how much you idolized him. So how emotional uh, was that for you? It
1: was extremely difficult. It was extremely. I mean, it's it's like you you have your hero and a person that um, that you look up to, and all of a sudden you know he's not there anymore. You can't watch him perform anymore. It's, It's 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 tough
0: i want to take you back to when you were growing up your father joe uh, played eight years in the nba for a few teams then eight years internationally in italy and Mm -hmm. other parts of europe while he was playing internationally he brought you your mom your two sisters uh, along how about the biggest difference you noticed between the states uh, and europe just in terms of lifestyle we, we didn't live in any major cities so i think we got the
1: authenticity of Italy, and, and, and you know, mother's making lasagna from scratch, and you know, everybody kind of knowing everybody, and you know, it was uh, it was almost as if you know, we lived in a typical Italian movie. And you know, I remember one time my sister just had a brand new mountain bike. She's got a brand new, bright orange mountain bike. So you're not missing this thing, you know what I mean? Big deal, when you yeah, I mean, she, uh, yeah, I mean it's a big deal. I mean back then mountain bikes, you know, you had the gear shifters right. and all that. I mean, <laughs> it was a big deal. Right? Yeah. So she, We all rode our mountain bikes, and um, we went to a store, and her friends friend just happened to be there. So she just met with her friends, started talking to them, and forgot she had a mountain bike. So she took off with them and got home, and I forgot my mountain bike. It was already too late. It was nighttime. We are going to mm-hmm. sleep. Too... Come back the next day, the mountain bike's still sitting there. Oh, that's great. Wasn't chained up or anything. Just leaned up against the wall, just sitting there.
0: So can you sing uh, one of the songs that the crowd used to sing for your father? Oh man, they had, they had a lot of them. They had a lot of them.
1: So most of them I can't repeat. Okay. <laughs> because of, uh, you know, the fans are extremely passionate. So, you know, things that they can kind of get away with saying in the crowd,
0: the NBA won't fly as much. You were pretty much certain from an early age as a kid that you were going to be an NBA player. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you feel so strongly about that uh yeah i'm not sure it it didn't even seem like as much that's what you wanted to do as much that's what you knew you were going to do
1: well i felt like i was born to play basketball i mean it's i started playing at the age of two and i love it so um you know when you kind of find that passion at an early age i mean that's really the 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 goal um is to kind of find whatever you're passionate about at an early age and it's kind of growing to it um, so but I just love to play the game and I never ever stopped I just played all day every day
0: so it just seemed like a natural progression to play in the NBA. Tell why you were uh, scolded at a summer camp once for what you put on your application for what well, your yeah, job was
1: going to be. Well, <laughs> well I wanted to be an NBA player and the counselor you know came to me and he said well you have to pick something a little more realistic Mm-hmm. That See, angered this is, you at the This time. is realistic to me. This is what I want to do. You know what I mean? And, and he was like, no, only one in whatever million, you know, players. Right. Make it to the NBA. Took a look around you. Look at all these players here. You know, everybody wants to be in the NBA. I said, well, I'm going to be there, you know? And as I grew older, I was like, man, you know what? If I wasn't such a stubborn kid, that really would have crushed me. Right. You know, for, for a person to, to, to really... Um, I'm was like taking a wet blanket and just throwing it over a <laughs> kid's, you know, dreams. I mean, it's just, it uh, didn't make any sense to me.
0: When you were 11, did a team really try and buy you from your parents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. W- what happened? Yeah. Well, that's just the system, how it,
1: you know, that's how it is in, in, uh, in Europe as it is with soccer. I mean, if you, you start playing at an early age, you play at the club level because you don't have school teams like we do here in the States. Um, And if professional teams notice you, you know, they want to purchase you. And then you you grow up in their club system, and then you eventually play on their their elite
0: professional-level team. Um, And so parents— My parents obviously said no. (laughs) Uh, Because you were in Europe, uh, you weren't able to, I guess, watch the NBA games live, so uh, you had them sent over on videotape. How often would you watch those videotapes? Every chance I got, I mean, my, my grandfather was,
1: uh he used to record games and then he used to send them out to us and so I would watch them and you know, that's kind of where I became you know, a basketball geek, so to speak, because I got a chance to watch all the players.
0: And then you'd go out in the backyard? Right oh everywhere? yeah, I'd go out in
1: the backyard and try to mimic everything, you know, let alone, you know, I try to dunk, but I couldn't reach the basket, but still, you know, in my mind, I was
0: dunking. Tell about when you were 14 and tried to dunk on your mom. <laughs> well, I mean, she fouled me. <laughs>
1: She laid
0: been. into you pretty good. It's right?
1: I, I, I get my competitiveness from my mother. I, that's for sure.
0: How, how so? She,
1: she's she's the, the competitive one. I mean, my father is competitive, but he's kind of, you know.
0: And that's amazing because your father was a professional yeah, athlete. But,
1: you know, he's kind of like, a, you know, just very happy, you know, go-lucky guy who has a mean streak in him. But, he, you know, he, he's like, you know,
0: he's such a extrovert, you know. And my mom's the real, the real firecracker. How well do you recall the first time you beat your father in basketball?
1: Yeah, I remember it was a war. I remember that. And you know, after I beat him, I remember he never played me again. Ever? That was it. That was it. He didn't want me to, to kind of get him back for all the years where he was kicking my butt in the backyard. You ever ask him to play again? Oh, sure. All the time. All the time. And what does he say? No.
2: <laughs> How physical
0: was that last game? It
1: was extremely physical. You know, my father, he's, he's always you know, taught me the, the little tricks of the game. Like what? You know what? I mean? Like how to get away with a foul here, you know, how to get a little extra step here, a little nudge here. So, but the only way he, you know, the way to really show me was to do it to me. So, I had a lot of, <laughs>
0: I had a lot of bruises, man. Had a couple of bloody lips. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of your uh, high school friends said, uh, when I was partying, he was playing basketball. When I was waking up, Kobe was playing basketball before class. How would you describe, your dedication to the sport even back then? Well, I, I tried to find a balance, right? I tried to do both. You know, I, I had a great deal of energy.
1: So, um, if there was a school party going on or something like that, I mean, I'd, I'd play basketball for a few hours you know, I'd do what I have to do and have fun doing it and then you know, I'd go to the party and I'd show up and I'd have a good time have fun and I'd be up at five o'clock in the morning, you know, working out, working out and you know, training the next day so I, I tried to try to do both. But
0: w- whether it be then or now to what extent have you found yourself over the years having to forego hobbies forego even in some instances close friendships to focus on basketball? Yeah well
1: this is obviously I mean a, a great amount of sacrifice um, because it is time consuming
0: and you do have to um, really focus on your craft a great deal. And do you realize it when you're going through it or because uh, you're so focused on what you want to do you're just kind yeah. of uh, oblivious to some no, of it? It's, it's, it was uh, probably different for me
1: than most because it was uh, it's what I truly wanted to do. It's what I enjoyed doing. So it wasn't like I was, you know, I didn't feel like I was giving something up. I felt like
0: I was gaining something because I enjoyed I enjoy playing. Coach K uh, says you've really changed your workouts uh, over the years A- as you've aged. You've changed the regimen. You've been innovative in many respects. In what ways? Well, you have to evolve. You know, so like the things I was doing when I was
1: nineteen years old to prepare and to train. You know, in terms of the explosiveness, the. Um, You know, the the impact that I will put on my body, the stress levels I put on my body to train and prepare. I can't do the same things now, you know, at 33 years old uh, because it'd just be counterproductive. You know, so you kind of have to evolve and, you know, do some cross-training. And how
0: much of a difference do you notice between what you were able to do then and what you're able to do now? Well, I mean, you know, I could— Is it glaring?
1: When it becomes glaring is when you have practice in the morning. You know, it's like a 10 a.m. practice, and you show up to practice, and you kind of look up at the basket, and you're going— yeah, I probably couldn't dunk right now. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, because your body's just kind of tight and kind of hurting and stuff. When you're 19, you go up and you're just like, oh, that basket looks like it's about this high. You just wake up out of the bed and you start doing 360s and windmilling and stuff, and yeah, not doing that anymore. How would you
0: explain that mindset of just trying to continuously improve?
1: Like I said, I enjoy what I do. You know, this is fun for me. You know, I, I, I truly love what I do, and I'm, that's where the passion comes from. That's where the will to get better comes from. It's just because I truly enjoy. It. I enjoy the preparation.
0: As a kid, explain why you would study bubblegum basketball cards.
1: Well, because you know you could kind of see uh, the little intricacies of each move, and you know is his toe pointing a little this way? Is his point is, is it this way when he's pivoting? Is you know so it's just little things like that. You know, body positioning, defensive stance. You know where the weight is on the defensive player. You know where the sh- where his head. Would, where the player's head is when he's shooting a basketball, you can kind of see all those little
0: details. And why were you looking for that? Because I was a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Your high school coach Greg Donner uh, it says that you might actually be a little embarrassed by how much you love basketball. Yeah. Is that true? Pro Yeah. I mean, it's, why? it's like.
1: Well, I mean, it's like anything. You know, I, it's, I just so happen to be playing basketball. Like, if I was a computer um, kid. You know, in high school, people would have probably made fun of me. You know what I mean? And it just so happened to be basketball, what I'm passionate about. And you know, my passion knows no bounds. But it embarrasses you? Well, I mean, it's just a little, a little weird, a little strange. I mean, when you're around, like in, in the Olympics, I'm around other athletes who kind of share that same, you know, that same mind, same mindset. It's it's fun to be around them because we can have conversations about those things.
0: Robert Ury, uh says he's never seen somebody who can see a move another guy does and pick it up as quickly as you. Uh, y- explain what you'll do. Well, I, I know
1: exactly what he's referring to. I mean, I, I, I watched, we played against the Houston Rockets and, um, and i was still a young kid and he was 18, 19 years old. and I'm watching Akeem Olajuwon up close and he's doing his dream shake. And I'm just kind of watching. And I asked Robert, hey Robert, how did how did Akeem used to practice that move? Because they played together and won a couple of championships together. So Robert kind of went through, you know, how he watched Akeem practice and stuff like that. and then." The next practice, I go right to the post and I start I start doing a dream shake and mimicking that exact move.
0: Why do you think you were able to pick it up so quickly?
1: Because I've been playing since I was two. So, like, you know, every move I've, but at I mean, some point, I've of, tried. There
0: are plenty of basketball players who've been playing a long time.
1: Yeah, not since two, though. And that's for as long as I have. You know, just by osmosis, you pick up so many things. in your, your muscle memory is that, that you can watch something
0: and just go out right away and... and and do it, Phil Jackson. I uh, had a chance to, you know, re- read through his memoir, and obviously that was written which one for, uh, <laughs> the, the last season. Yeah. Uh, that was written preceding, you know, him returning yeah. to the Lakers. But uh, I mean, at one point, he uh, apparently, you know, says to the then Lakers GM, "Look, if Kobe's back next year, I- I'm not coming back." Yeah. Uh, obviously, the relationship's since been repaired. But when it was kind of fractured the most. What were the factors you think were responsible for that? I think the
1: the the, the, the most challenging things that he for him in, in dealing with our group, he had a couple, and and one of them being the dynamic to myself and Shaquille, mm-hmm. and you know him having to deal with that relationship, and um, you know kind of keeping me, you know, at arm's distance, so that in turn he can bring him closer to Shaq. And then the other thing, he's just dealing with a young horse, racehorse, that wanted to get to an elite level as an individual player and establish himself in a league. So he had to deal with those, you know, with that balancing act. And, um, and, you know, we both were extremely stubborn, all three of us. You know, Phil's extremely stubborn, so was Shaq, so am I. So, you know, we, we, it was very, very difficult for him to find that balance. And I think he became frustrated because he couldn't figure out a way to really reach me. Mm-hmm. And um, Why do you think that was? Well, because I told him, I said, Phil, if, if you want me to do something, just tell me. You don't have to go around the corner, drive around the block, and then kind of circle back around to your point and then kind of slide it in. There. Just tell me. Just tell me what it is you want me to do. And he kind of, I think that was a little different for him. He's not a guy that really likes confrontation.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he kind of subtle subtly slipping messages in there where, uh, for me, it was just like, just tell me what it is you want. Don't insult my intelligence by trying to mm-hmm.
0: backdoor in there. I'm starting to smile because I was shocked in his book. He said he was like seeing a therapist to talk about, you know, just how to deal with that sort yeah, of team I, dynamic. I, I mean, I was just like, just tell me. How do you go about rebuilding a, a relationship like that, especially one that then goes on to have that much more success? Well, you don't carry baggage with you.
1: You know, you have to you have to drop it and let it let it go and move on. And, and once you decided to come back and you called me and you know we spoke, we didn't have to address any of the issues. We were both of the same belief that you move on from the past. And you know, once you make the decision to move forward, that's exactly what you're doing is moving forward, not addressing the past.
0: You mentioned Shaq. You guys obviously had a very very successful working relationship. I mean, three. Consecutive titles—you know what more could you ask for? But yeah. I mean, nobody makes any secrets. There just uh, wasn't the close relationship there yeah. that you might like w- with teammates. Why do you think you were unable to maintain that same working relationship for longer? This just wasn't going to happen. It's just not. It's not in the cards. I mean, I—I
1: I wanted. There's things that I wanted to do with my career. Take my career to another level. Um, that I was just incapable of doing as long as we were playing together and which I was fine with doing Mm -hmm. until I heard him say a few times that you know Kobe's not going to be as successful without me and you know this that and the other and that kind of became the chatter so now once that became the chatter I was like oh wait whoa 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 whoa, no 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 no, no.
0: especially especially for a guy who's Hyper. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it just
1: wasn't going to work. So you know, no matter what happened, even if we had won that championship, I just me
0: being a free agent, there was just no way I had to accept this challenge and I had to see what I could do. And you said in some ways, part of the friction came from you both being very similar type of people. Yeah. In what ways? Well, we're both we're both alpha males, man. We both
1: don't mess around. We don't be around the bush, you know. And it, it's one of the big problems that he had with me is that I'm extremely brutally honest with my guys, you know, and it's just, you know, if a player's not working as hard as he should, I'm going to tell them. And, you know, and that includes somebody who's 7'3", 400 pounds. How <laughs> does a conversation like that go <laughs> Probably not the smartest thing in the world to do, but, you right. know. Right. It is what it is.
0: Right. Yeah, how does a conversation like that, I mean, do you talk to somebody like him the same way you would any other team? Oh, yeah, yeah, I
1: don't pull any punches, man. And I think that's why you know, there's such a great deal of respect still. You know, from him to me and vice versa, is that he knows
0: he knows what I'm about. He knows I'm not going to sugarcoat things, and I'm going to be straight up and honest about him. We sat down with Shaq back in 2015, and he knew Kobe was special from the very beginning.
3: Yeah, he was different. He had a he had an aura about him that I've never seen in an 18.
1: 18- I was devastated. I, I didn't know, I didn't understand what it was. I, I just knew it was going to stop him from, from doing what he loves to do. Um, So I I was I was devastated and I had no idea what was going on so It was it was it was a tough day
3: Whatever he sets out to be and I realized that we were the same people don't like criticism turn it into motivation And he was a guy that I know that if I talk smack He gonna come out and try to score 50 and I think it's a big myth You know people think you have to be lovey-dovey to win championships, and I just felt sometimes you know his way and he you was know, a fabulous player. Just felt, you know, sometimes that he didn't do it the right way. And I know he felt sometimes that I didn't work hard or whatever, whatever. But again, it all worked. Three out of four, we are, we will be the most talked about, the most enigmatic, the most controversial duo, the best one-two punch in the history of the game. And what we did, and what I created with the back and forth, it'll always be talked about. Yeah,
0: Professional athlete. I mean everybody is criticized and I think the more successful the athlete you are the more Criticism you receive there you said um, You know early on in an article I read this is back from like your really young days in, In the league that you were at the time confronted by veteran players Over what they viewed as kind of selfish play on the basketball court How much truth do you think there was to that then? I think it's um
1: it probably was some to the extent of um, when I would decide to be aggressive and when you know, it was time to kinda more utilize my teammates because I was full throttle all the time. And so you know, they would view that as selfishness, but the reality was just decision making of when to attack, when to pull back, when to trust your teammates, when to get this guy going, when to get that guy going, and then when to hit the throttle and attack. So I had to kinda figure out the balance of you know the game, mm-hmm. and then when to go and when not to go, because that you know, at 19, 20 years old, man, I was full throttle, man. And what was that like for you, figuring out the balance of the game? It was fun. I mean, it was a great challenge. I, you know, and it's, um, I think I was very fortunate to have to try to figure that out because most of my peers n- never learned that because they didn't have to. You know, they were on a team that was, you know, happy to make it to playoffs and that wasn't the situation I was in. They, they needed me to win a championship, and to do that, they needed me to figure out that balance and figure it out ASAP. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, it made me a much better player.
0: What about figuring it out do you think made you a better player?
1: I had, I had great coaching, uh, Phil Jackson and Tex Winter, Tex Winter who you know, I call Master Yoda. And you called him even before Phil Jackson even well, came yeah, to coach be- Yeah, because I, I recognized his, his uh, intelligent level, his genius. And I wanted to learn from him and it just so happened he came and coached this the following year. And um, I had a chance to kind of really pick his brain and understand the game. And I think just my basketball IQ went to another level because of it.
0: And what was it you're trying to learn?
1: The momentums of the game and, and when to use your teammates and when to pick your spots and how to pick them, you know, and how to read the defense, to take advantage of certain situations and scenarios and understanding the shot clock and the timing and all this other stuff. and. And um, I, was, I was
0: very, I couldn't figure it out on my own. I mean, I was very, very, very fortunate to have Phil and Tex. Kobe Bryant would have worn another uniform if not for Jerry West, the former Lakers vice president of basketball operations, traded up to get Bryant in the 1996 NBA draft. And the rest is history.
2: How close did you and Kobe become? First two or three years were very close. i I say, I've always paid attention to younger players. And I think in particular, my kids, Drove him around um, Los Angeles, and he didn't have a car, and he's 17 years old. So it's pretty funny to think of a kid that we thought was the number one pick—I thought he was the number one pick in the draft—and our staff thought he was the number one pick in the draft—and to watch uh, watch my kids driving him around, I thought this was pretty. <laughs> I thought this was pretty funny. <laughs> your uh,
0: son and your wife, when I asked each of them what their favorite memories were from your career, both immediately said. Uh, the off-season in which you acquired Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. How does that rank for you? Well,
2: it would be like, um, I guess, a poverty-stricken family wakes up one morning and all of a sudden, overnight, they become the wealthiest couple in the world. It was like one of the most elated periods in my life. Why do you think it was so difficult
0: for Kobe and Shaquille to coexist?
2: Good question. You know, I've often thought that if you watch teams, let's say somebody has a great player and he's a little bit older, and you've got this young up-and-coming star, and all of a sudden that young up-and-coming star start to look at him as being the equal of the other player in terms of ability, not in size but ability. And I think that uh, Kobe Bryant played every game like he didn't like anyone he played against, which I loved. He didn't like fraternization, which I loved. And Shaquille was like a big teddy bear who smiled, and and but you put him in a game where something was on the line. and. Uh, you wouldn't want to play against Shaquille O'Neal. He was just so physical and so strong, and he was had great footwork for a guy his size. And Kobe Bryant, at his position, was like a Shaquille O'Neal, and he kind of played the game with force too for a young kid. And I think the combination of um, of you know Kobe wanting to exert himself more than he had, and Shaquille being very um, vocal about who he was, <laughs> uh, and, and some, sometimes kidding ways, and you know, always some kind of a uh, new nickname for himself. <laughs> um, I think those two different personalities had to clash somewhere along the way. I didn't think they'd ever clash to the extent they did. Notable moments from your career,
0: eight years old in the game, how many points did you score? 63. How? Like, technically, I don't. I mean, at eight years old, how do you score? Well,
1: I, f- I figured out that most kids that are right-handed can't go left. You know what I mean? So I just sit on their right hand, and I got, like, steal after steal after steal. After. I mean, that's really how it happened. I, I just pressure the backcourt, and as soon as a kid started dribbling the ball, I jump right in his right hand, and then I'd take it from him and lay it up, take it from him, lay it up, take it from it up and it just went on and there was nothing they could do about it do you, do you remember that I oh mean, yeah you, oh you do oh yeah
0: would did anything
1: that sticks out no i mean that just the fact that i scored 63 points i mean my teammates were all just going crazy about it after the game it was it was it was fun and then you know we had the finals the next night and i had a 40 point game the next game doing the same thing my father always told me he said son you gotta be able to use both hands <laughs> gotta be able to use both hands at an early age
0: and i and i could the 81-point game in the NBA, 81 points in a single game. What sticks out for you from that game?
1: Um, probably the fact that I had pepperoni pizza the night before the game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is that is that common, or is that <laughs> no? It's
1: not common at all. I was just kind of craving a pepperoni pizza, and I had one. Um, Start a trend? No, <laughs> yeah, I hope yeah. not. Don't, I hope they don't follow that lead. The, the day that I actually scored 81 was my grandfather's birthday who had passed away a few years before and my grandmother who had never seen me play in the NBA just cause her nerves can't take it she uh, flew out to California and she came to watch me play uh, for the first time and the only time and, uh, and that's just so happened to be the, the night I scored
0: 81. What was that like for you with Having your grandmother the first and only time sitting in the stands watching,
1: it was really special for me. I mean, my, my grandmother was, has always been there for me. We're out of the family; we're probably the most similar uh, personality. So um, it was really, really special. I mean, she was one of these grandmothers who, you know, I would play like eight games a day in the summertime with, for different summer leagues and stuff like that. And she'd be like boy, you need to slow down, you know, you're getting too tired, you're exhausted, you know, it's one of those grandmas who's really caregiving, you know, and just a, just a caretaker, so for her to be there at the Staples Center to watch me play at this ultimate level after seeing me play for so many years, you know, in high school and summer league was,
0: was special. So those 81 points in a single game, second, you know, in history only to Wilt Chamberlain, it should be pointed out. Even Michael Jordan only had 69 points in a game, and he needed overtime to get to that point. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 55 points in a game is what he tops out at, and you had that in the second half of that game alone. When you're in the zone like that, how do you know?
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's, uh, It's a strange feeling because you know you're in the zone, but you can't afford to allow yourself to know you're in the zone, because once you do, then you lose it. You know, because being in that moment is all about being in that moment and not letting anything else in into your mind emotionally or psychologically. And you just continue to go and go and go. And, you know, for me as a player, you know, when I get hot, I mean, I get blistering hot. And it's something that I just had to kind of keep going and not
0: take my mind or focus, let my focus shift to something else. What's different? about it though I mean when you're in the zone like that relative to an average game oh it's such a sense of calmness and focus and it's almost a
1: almost a sense of desperation where nothing else matters no, nothing nothing no nobody talking to you, you know, not a fan sitting over here not nothing is relevant um, the only thing that's important is the moment that you're in and and it's tough to find that space on a consistent basis but you know, it's. Uh, I think that's what makes sports so compelling.
0: I read somewhere after that game that you said it actually slowed down for you. Uh, how so? Well,
1: just uh, because of the fact that you know I was so hot shooting the ball, um, now I can pick and choose whatever I did out there on the floor. You know, so it was almost like the defense was at my mercy, and because of that, I could anticipate everything that was going on because I was dictating everything that was going on because I was so hot. And so it kind of gives that feeling that everything slows down.
0: The All Star Game, uh, Kobe, that was billed as Kobe versus Michael, <laughs> oh, basically. Yeah. yeah, how about the part of that game that you really recall, or from that experience in general? I remember,
1: I remember being so tired before the game because during that All Star Weekend, they, they had me doing so much you know, this event, that event, this interview, that interview, this party, that. It was so much going on before the game. Your face was plastered everywhere. I was everywhere. Be, and I was right. eight, I was what? 19, 19. Mm-hmm. That I literally went to sleep in the middle of the locker room on the floor before the game. Really? I just I just I just, I just like this. I just crashed out. I'm probably snoring. <laughs> and I remember Clyde Drexler comes to me, taps me on the shoulder. "Hey, we're about to go out there in like 5 minutes." Wake up, young fella. You okay? I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> and he says, "See, you're gonna learn your lesson, man. You can't have them have them have you running around doing all these things all the time. You'll you learn." <laughs> what about
0: uh, with uh, MJ?
1: I remember I remember him being sick, and so you know, he, I think he was sick during that weekend. And I, I think he missed media day because of it. And when I checked in the game, um, I'm I'm, guard, <laughs> I'm guarding him. I'm standing next to him. And he coughs. Mm-hmm. And I remember going, oh, man, cough that way. <laughs> and he just started laughing. He was probably looking at me like, this kid is crazy. Right, man. right,
0: Yeah. <laughs> How about the best advice you've ever gotten from him? Probably the best
1: advice was to, to, be, to be me, to be me. You know, he, he's faced a lot of criticism as well throughout his career about him shooting too much and being selfish and this and the other. But he said, don't change who you are. Don't change who you are. Play your game and everybody will adjust to that, but you have to be yourself. You, and how did that resonate with you? Well, it kind of gave me the, the, the feeling that I was on the right track, you know, because that, those were my thoughts and my feelings exactly, but, you know, there are times where you kind of second-guess yourself, and like, well, maybe I, need to, maybe I need to change my game. Maybe I need to be more of a pass-first type of a player, and, you know, more of a magic type of a player, and this, that, and the other. Um, you kind of start, kind of thinking through things a little bit, and then for him to say that was like, okay, no, you are, you're, you're doing the right thing. You, you got it right.
0: Is there a point in your career where you've really had that doubt creep in the most, or where you started questioning if maybe you should change how you're doing something?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, quite often. I, I think that's it's, it's human nature. I mean, as a as a young player coming up, we just continue to get swept, and. You know, we just can't seem to get over the hump. It's like, man, am I, am I costing my team you know, the ability to win a championship? Right. You know, do I, what do I need to do? You know, Against the Celtics in 2008, I was like, man, I, I'm never going to win another championship. Or maybe everybody was right. Like, I can't win without Shaq. You know, it's like this is my one opportunity, and I blew it. And then it's like, well, no, you can't. No. Maybe you'll go down one day, but today's not going to be that day and you just gotta bounce back and just keep it going. You know, I remember when we, in in 2010, when we played the Celtics, we lost game two. And I remember being very upset, very angry, very sad. And I drove around, before I I came home, I literally just drove around for like two hours after the game, Mm -hmm. just trying to calm down and just trying to find confidence because the Celtics I mean they were extremely tough to beat in Boston and Sirius is tied at 1-1 and here we are going to Boston we might not ever come back to LA. So I remember just driving around for two hours just trying to find something where I can hang my hat on for myself and for my team and say no we're going to do this and this is why we're going to do it and this is how we're going to do it but you know I, I just drove around drove
0: around drove around. Five championships obviously how about the most satisfying victory of your career? Game 7 against the Celtics. That was the most
1: satisfying one because that was the hardest one. I mean, we came back to LA from that series being down 3-2 against a great great team against, you know, four Hall of Famers. So that was a uh, Game 7 being down 15 points in fourth quarter. That was that
0: was a tough one. If you could is there a moment during your career that you would love to go back to just to experience again? I think
1: going back to uh it's a draft day. Going back to draft day. That that was, I would love to kind of relive that moment and be, you know, 17 years old and going through that process. What about it? Just being, just just, just it being just a new thing for me. I mean, I was 17 and here I am with Allen Iverson and Marcus Camby and Ray Allen and, you know, Steve Nash and all these great players. And, and I'm I'm a teenager and I'm just kind of kind of here for the ride. Would you still have the glasses on your
0: head when you I didn't you have the glasses on my head. I you head. Once I saw the...
1: how foolish that looked, I took them off. I
0: was like, you know what? You're a teenager, man. What are you going to do? This is <laughs> yeah. what teenagers do in 96. Right. <laughs> I did an episode with Ray Lewis and ended up getting into talking to him about what happened to him where, you know, here's a guy, everything going in the right direction ends up being charged with murder. Charges obviously, uh, you know, later dismissed. But he he really credits that part of his life, with having gone through that, with really having a positive impact on him moving forward and just having made him a better individual sure. in, in the long term. It's been nearly a decade now since you know what you went yeah. through in Eagle with sexual assault charges. Obviously, similar to Lewis, dismissed. To what extent do you think having gone through that? had a positive impact on you and really made you better long term.
1: Well, you know, I, I think it's uh, it the it, it, it challenge is who you are as a person. You know, to try to have to go through something like that. You know, with uh, not only individually but you know as a family, and then you know for the organization, the Lakers organization, my teammates. It was extremely difficult, and you kind of had to do some soul searching. You know, because you're fighting numerous battles at the same time, and you're just kind of trying to figure your way through all of this mess. And the only thing that you can do is just put one foot in front of the other, and just continue to move forward. I mean, and there's nothing else you can do. I mean, there's times where it just seems like days are just endless. Like, like <laughs> these, this, this is never going to end. This, this, this feeling, this dark time is just never going to be over. And I think once you go through something like that, you can't help but be different. You can't help but have uh, a better sense of who you are. And it's um, yeah. I mean, Ray and I have had conversations about that. He, he's really? A, yeah, he's a good friend of mine, and we've we've had those type of conversations of going through things like that. And a lot of you know, other players can't relate to that to that sort of stuff, to that type of pressure. That that's real pressure. That's life pressure. It's not hitting a game-winning shot. If you, if you make it, you win. If you miss it, you lose. That's, you know, that's not pressure.
0: What did you and Ray speak
1: about when you had this? Exactly that. Exactly that. About his time and what he went through and then how he was able to come out of it and how it made him more determined. And, um, and for me, it was much the same.
0: I mean, with the court case, that was really the first time in your life where you didn't have control over your fate. Right. What was that experience like? Well, you have to, you have to give it up. You know, you have to
1: give it up. You have to re- release yourself, um, and just kind of, you know, let things be. And I think that helps your maturity a lot when you when you try not to control a situation. Uh, this is not a, a basketball game where I have, you know, uh, a lot of control on the outcome. You, know, you really just got to let it go. And I think to do that, you you, you instantly have to mature, <laughs> and uh, to be able to put yourself in that emotional space where you can, you can trust, the, trust the process. What do you think you learned from the whole experience? I mean, it's a lot that I've learned through that experience, and a lot of uh, things specifically that, that I went through doing that process that um, I wish I could dive into. But it's just, I think as a, as a person, it just really teaches you how to, how to let go and how to trust. And, and and not try to control everything. Um, I think that decreases your stress levels tenfold, when you're not worrying about the next moment, you're not worrying about what this person may say, you're not worrying about what this outcome may be. Instead, you just kind of let go.
0: Why do you think you were able to still play basketball so well um, during because, that time? Probably because I'm stubborn. That's,
1: because you're stubborn? That's probably
0: why. Probably why because do you I'm
1: say stubborn. that? Because it, you know, it was like, you know, on these days you know, I'm not going to stop playing. I'm not just because you guys think I should stop playing, just because you guys think that I won't perform as well, I'm going to show you. And, and, and truthfully, it was, it was stress release for me because I've been playing since I was two. So this is, basketball has always been my escape. It's always been the place of refuge for me. So, you know, why should I take that away now? If anything, the game is going to keep me sane, keep me stable, and and help me to be
0: able to manage these um, various situations. There was a quote that when I read it, I figured I had to bring this up. Uh, During your first year with the Lakers, you said, quote, When I'm 35 years old, I'm not going to be in the league. Uh, By then, I'll be relaxing with my family overseas somewhere. Your thoughts on that now? Probably it's still probably accurate. Really? Still probably accurate. Why do you say that?
1: You know, my 18th year in the league. I mean, that's a that's a long time to be playing. Um, you know, it'll be my last year in my contract. So, I don't know. I don't know if I'll play play any longer than that. I, I don't know. How strongly
0: do you feel about that? That the. Nah, year? I mean 30th, it's just you
1: know it's just a it's year. just a it's just a possibility. It's not something that I even gave it much thought uh, to, but it's a it's a possibility. It could happen.
0: When do you think you give that more thought? Uh, I, at the end of the year, that year, probably.
1: I, I think you'll know. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I've seen so many players retire and think they know and then come back, and then you're retire and come back. And I, I don't want to be one of those guys, but I know they've all said it too. So it, it's, it, I, it must be tougher than it sounds to, to be able to retire and to know when's that, when that moment is actually there. So, um
0: well, wow, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, I guess. To, to what extent is there the concern of just being able to replicate that satisfaction or that adrenaline rush that you get from playing the game? I mean, after, when sure. you're finished playing?
1: Uh, no, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good about that, actually. I, I don't really, I've never really played for, like, the uh, adrenaline rush or the... Or the hype or anything like that. I never really played for that. Like, I played because I enjoy playing and somebody has to win, so I'd rather it be me because it's a little bit more fun when you win. <laughs> right. You know, so that's kind of why I play. I, I, I never really played for
0: the hype or, you know, the fame that comes along with it. Five championships, more than a dozen all star appearances, an MVP, you're at the you know top statistically in many, you know, NBA offensive categories. Been in the league since you were 17. What motivates you now?
1: I think it's just the the, the joy of the game of playing. Um, it, it's it's I can't lie, man. It, it's tough. It's tough because you're trying to constantly find things kind of push you, um, things that kind of motivate you to kind of give you that edge, you know. And it's like you know I, I watch myself sometimes when I played when I was 21. 22 23 and it's like whoa you just look like a guy that's just constantly going it's just your motor is just endless and now i don't have the same motor so you got to kind of try to pick your spots and you know try to you know
0: and you can feel that that you don't Oh
1: yeah 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 for sure so you got to kind of your games kind of evolves it becomes a little bit more mature but in terms of the motivation side it's just it's just to continually get better.
0: How would you like your career to be looked back on?
1: Uh, well, I, I would love for people to look at you know, my career and say that um, I maximized everything that I possibly could. Every ounce of talent that I had, I got the most out of it. And uh, you know, if, if people can say that
0: about me, then I'll be very happy. Really a pleasure, coach. My man thanks for listening to my interview with Kobe Bryant. For more from the chat, visit youtube.com slash Graham Kobe's wife Vanessa and the Mamba Sports Foundation have set up the Mamba on 3 Fund to help support the families affected by the helicopter crash. To donate, go to mambaon3.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham And you can visit grahambensinger.com for TV times in your area. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.